I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Tonight's episode of Gravely Amusing is on the history of me, Dracula. I am sure you will find this episode more inviting. I join you, but I am meeting a friend for a drink. Of beer, of course. I never drink wine. So stay and listen to them, nerds of the night. What podcasts they make. And now I leave you. Good night, dear listener. Tonight I trust you will be gravely amused. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of our Dracula episode. This part is on the history of the film with a little discussion on Dracula thoughts. That's right. I've decided to do things a little differently with this Dracula episode than I did with Frankenstein. I decided to bring in someone else who loves monsters as much as me, if not more. He is the host of the greatest DC podcast in this multiverse, The Krypton Report. He is a father husband, retired Ghostbuster, and always has a fresh pair of underwear on. My friend, my amigo, the Superman to my Batman, Tyler Patrick. Thanks for joining me, Tyler. Hey, thank you. It's so cool to be here. Um, It is great because classic monsters is one thing that you and I bonded over other than just comic books. Exactly. You know, and, and horror in general. Like, you and I, like, if there's a horror movie coming out, usually I want to see it. I'm going to go with you. <laughs> so, uh, because like your wife, not completely into horror, like, like your, your wife's a lot like my wife. Like I it did, depends. I did get her to, she did go see scream six with me. Oh, after you and I saw it opening night, we went back the next night and she, we, I, I saw it again and she went, she, it was spontaneous and she was like, I'll go. So that was pretty cool. See, Jen will watch like scream sometimes. But Jen's like always all over the place doing this, 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 a million things at once. So to get her to like sit down and watch a scary movie or watch like anything with me, it is a true gift from God. <laughs> <laughs> my wife, my, like, my wife puts up with enough horrors in real life. You know, she has to deal with my mother. So, hey, hey. but no, I'm happy to be here. I love the classic monsters. Like it's really the gateway into folklore. Yeah. <laughs> It's a gateway truck. Um, <laughs> just like a, a butter knife, man. It's a gateway knife. Um, it's what I got really me. About that. <laughs> it got me into folklore and horror together, and even literature. If you think about it in a way, like much like yeah. you were talking about with, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula being like the first two universal icons, were both based from literature itself. What book did you read first, Dracula or Frankenstein? All the way through. 
I want to go with Dracula. Yeah. I, I remember being, tr- I tried to read them both when I was too young for it <laughs> yeah. because I was just yeah. excited about it, you know? And this was during the goosebumps phase when you're just like, Oh, cool. I can do that. Um, and then over time, I think I read Dracula myself in middle school, but we did Frankenstein in high school. Oh, uh, my senior yeah, cool year. High school, man. <laughs> so they always did in high school. They rotated every year for one of the books. Novels was either Dracula or Frankenstein. They switched every year. And my senior year fell on Frankenstein. What book do you like better? I don't know. That's a fair answer. I I think I lean towards Dracula because there's more in it that I think has translated the screen better. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a culture relevance more to it i love and hate the epistolary um way that dracula's done yeah because i feel like such a fancy word for a fancy man yeah (laughs) because i feel like there's a lot in it that could be cut out but it's just kind of it's just kind of character building yeah um that if you're doing a straight narrative you might not um but i feel like i feel like in Dracula movies and Dracula interpretations, they cut out some of the stuff that you don't want them to cut out. Yeah. I, like, I've told you before yeah. that, and I, I've recorded this on my own uh, podcast pitch on my Patreon um, for a dollar. Join my Patreon for a dollar here on my ideas, but I'll share some. Is Dollar a month, everybody. Yeah, it's great. It's a great way. Um, Cheaper that, than a pumpkin spice latte. For real. And you get a lot of cool insights. But I think I think the problem with a lot of Dracula stuff is they make Dracula more of your protagonist. Yes. When I really think that he should appear and be very, very involved in the beginning and very involved in the end, but in the middle, he's very much your Darth Sidious. Okay, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. So, um, but I, I think but, that I think that's yeah. ingrained in the novel with the epistolaries. Yeah. Because so much after Harker. Dracula. So we mean my pistolaries for those not as intelligent as you. Um, letters exchanging, yeah. like letters, journals, any kind of documentation. Um, while reading Dracula last year, Brian and I both did a uh, kind of like a book club thing. We both were reading it at the same time last year, taking notes and talking about it. Um, it actually inspired me on how to a movie idea. Yeah, that's kind of pieced together like in a digital epistolary kind of way. Um, so, so like, so like I talked about in the last part of the episode, listeners, like Dracula, the book is all about, it's all letters and Stoker builds your suspense and almost makes you feel like what you're reading is a real event because you have so many authors writing about the same thing. And as you know, there are some other books out there. There's so many authors wrote about the same thing (laughs) and you know, you can feel you know, it's real or not. Well, it's all, it's also, um, you know, just something to note. I don't know if you mentioned this in your, in your last episode, because yeah. as of this recording, I haven't heard that episode, but Stephen King was very much inspired by Dracula and the style of Dracula when he wrote Salem's Lot as yes, his sir. version of Dracula in a much similar fashion. Yes. With the, well, I mean, Salem's Lot's vampires, Street Knockup and Nosferatu, Nosferatu, straight dracula well creepy looking dracula 
Um, but, but yeah, so as you can see, Tyler is a huge monster fan and just a huge universal monster fan like myself. And the question that we keep coming to that we're going to really get into in this podcast is what makes universal Dracula? It's so many different interpretations of Dracula. You have very sexualized Dracula. You have, you know, straight hunter, monster, whatever. What makes universal Dracula? Like, what are the characteristics of that? So we'll get into that. I think that's, uh, it's fascinating um, because we've talked about this a little bit here and there before about the universal monsters of what they are. And I think there's certain rules. Yeah. And I think it, there's, it leans heavier into Frankenstein than it does Dracula, but there are definitely, I think things in that for Dracula. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating to me is, and we'll, we'll touch on this, that universal has done other Dracula's and not even play by their own rules. Yes. Um, like Renfield, if you will. I mean, if you okay, Renfield is a universal Dracula. The Last Voyage of the Demeter is a universal Dracula. Yes, and Dracula Untold is a universal Dracula. Yes, and Renfield tries to play it as if they want to do it, almost as if it's a sequel to the thirty-one film in a in a way. Um, but they still miss the mark with a lot of aesthetics. So so much so much. So before we get into the nitty gritty of that, I want to give you guys a brief history of the movie and how it kind of came together. So Bram Stoker's novel had already been filmed without permission as Nosferatu in 1922. Stoker's widow sued for plagiarism and copyright infringement, and the courts decided in her favor. Eventually, uh, it ordered all prints of Nosferatu to be destroyed. So... The Nosferatu you see today, yeah, it's a copy that, you know, wasn't completely destroyed. <laughs> so, you know, sorry. It's so crazy that that but there's so many there's so many parts of Nosferatu. And I think I think I will talk more about that probably in a later one when we get to the Claws Kinski remake in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that one a little bit better. Well, I mean, yeah. But uh yeah, it's so it's, good. It's, What'd you say? I said, of course. Because it's also newer in color and, you know, people talk and can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Carl Neal Jr. saw the box office potential in uh, Stoker's Dracula and he legally acquired the the novel's film rights. He wanted Dracula to be bigger than the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Phantom of the Opera, which I feel are the real start of Universal Monsters. But they never get the credit. They don't get the credit. Um, you had mentioned this before in your Frankenstein. Yeah. There is a phantom of the opera that a lot of times gets lumped in with the universal monsters and it's complete garbage. Well, the one that gets lumped in is Lon Chaney's. No, that's the one that gets forgotten. Oh, no, no, I apologize. It's yes. the one with, uh, Claude Rains. Sometimes it is, it is in there though. But like so, when you're you right. see promotional video, they, they go on Lon Chaney's, Lon Chaney's face but the one that they lump in with the box set is, is the Claude Rains. Is a Claude Rains, and it's horrible. It's it's, it's not it's, a monster movie. No, it's a violinist dude in a in a mask. It's Technicolor. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Janine and I watched it last year or year before. It was last year. We yeah. did a whole Phantom. Yeah, it was last year. So we did a whole Phantom retrospective. Um, but I, I, I think there is an argument in those films being the, they're almost like the precursor to, you know, the, the, the error of the monster film. Your, your prequel. If you yeah. you're, uh, you know, you're a phantom, I don't know, phantom prequel trolls. You don't know. Whatever. It's kind of like, if you think about it in uh comic book terms, those were your pulps. Oh uh, yeah. To your superhero. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You know, that you're was, totally right. that was your, uh, your Zorro, your, uh, Buck Rogers, your, uh, Doc Savage. Um, before we got to Superman and everything. So how much do you think Universal paid for the rights to the novel? Well, I know because I looked it up because I wanted to. I'm, I'm all about hey, douche. Con- I'm on. all about conversions. Um, but it says $40,000 in and I put in today's my, money or 1931 money in 1930. Uh, I put it in 1930. What the uh, for yes. 1930 would be. Yes. Um, and then in today's money, put that in the conversion and it's it's a nice chunk of change. What is it, Tyler? Seven hundred and thirty-two thousand nine one hundred and ninety-four dollars and one cent. James makes that on a weekend doing bachelorette parties. He just doesn't talk about it. <laughs> he got it stashed away. <laughs> but you know, they acquired those rights. They got the exclusive rights to Dracula, bro. So another thing that I put in the in the last part of the podcast. So Stoker. Eight days after he published that book, he put on a stage play so he could have the rights to the stage play. Smart. Immediately. Smart. And he had two people in the audience. Didn't know what the heck he was doing. It was like a dramatic reading, but it got him the rights to that stage play. Smart. Smart man. Who do you think was originally supposed to play Dracula? I know you probably know that. First choice. I'm like 99% sure it was supposed to be Lon Chaney. There was someone before him. Was it, uh, oh man, his name's, uh, I'll well, give you a clue. I, it's, I'll give you a clue. The clown prince of crime. I know. I know who it is. It's, it's <laughs> the guy who played Gwynpin, uh, in the man, man who laughs, but I just can't remember. Conrad. V- yes. Uh, Conrad Vite. Yes. So Conrad, if you don't know, was actually when played a movie called The Man Who Laughs. I still need to see this movie so incredibly bad. I still haven't. I have it's it. It's hard to find. You have it? I have a digital copy. I don't it's a silent film, so I don't have to worry about subtitles, but I have it Touché. digitally. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely need to see it. I need to see it. Um, but he played that movie, he played in that movie in 1928, and that the look of him and the man who laughs was actually an inspiration for the Joker. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Bill Finger. Um but Vint returned to Germany fearing his English was not good enough to do sound pictures because he did all silent work. So he goes back to Germany. Universal's like, well, who the heck are we going to hire? They hire. Well, they go after. Lon they don't Chaney. hire him. Lon Chaney. Because he did Hunchback of Notre Dame. He did Phantom of the Opera. He was the man. But Chaney left Universal because he felt they didn't pay him enough because he was their man. He is working for MGM at the time. So, and he was doing a remake of some movie called Unholy Tree. 
Uh, and he decided that would be his first sound film. So Universal wasn't paying him enough. But then they offered him a bunch of money. He dies, dude. And that proved kind of a big issue. So Lemieux was not interested in anybody else than Lon Chaney, but he ended up deciding on Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi. Uh, because in spite of those good reviews for stage portrayal, Lemieux instead considered uh, more established screen actors. There's a whole list of all these actors that he wanted other than Bella. He wanted more established people. He wanted to be taken seriously because they just won the Oscar for All on the Western Front, All Quiet on the Western yes. Front. So, And that's what got Lemieux to actually be able to create the Universal Monsters with that win. So Lugosi played that role on Broadway. And to his fortune, he happened to be in Los Angeles with a touring company uh, when the play, when the film was being cast. So against studio opinion, Lugosi lobbied hard and he won the executives over. But he mostly won because he agreed to only be paid 500 a week for seven weeks of work. So they got Bella Lugosi for $3,500. And today's money, Tyler, how much? Three, you said... Three thousand, three thousand five hundred bucks. He got paid for the role. Five hundred bucks a week. In today's money, it'd be sixty-four thousand sixty-six dollars and ninety-eight cents. Yeah, total ripoff. So some things about Bela Lugosi. He was a Hungarian actor from Romania. Where's Dracula from? Romania. He was born. He was born October 20th, 1882. He acted in the American stage play Dracula starting in 1927 at the age of. Oh, no, I can't do that. 45. He would not. Get, he would get to play Dracula at age 49 in films. He is the most iconic Dracula of all time, but he only played Dracula two times in film. He did the play over a thousand times, but in movies, only two times. What are those two movies? Uh, Dracula and then Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That is correct. Which I'll give you a cookie if I have one. <laughs> so it's, give me a Scooby snack, which sometimes gets uh, called when Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Wolfman, and Dracula. But usually it's just meet Frankenstein. It's, I mean, it should be Abbott and Costello meet Universal Monsters or something, but yeah, what have you. Okay. Controversial topic time. Mm. Would Bella Lugosi have had a bigger career than he did if he would have got the Frankenstein role and kept it? I don't think so. So, so Dracula, I, th I think, because, then Frankenstein right away. But I think if you look at even even if if we were to just watch Dracula. And then watch the Wolfman meets Frankenstein, which he played the monster in. Yeah, and it was he was horrible. And just watch those horrible. Okay, with without even going into the Frankenstein films. Yeah. I think he would have just gotten lost as being a monster. Yes. Um because he took because because some reports said he didn't take the role because it wasn't a speaking role. Like he would just grunt and he'd look stupid. And he's like, I'm not a scarecrow. It's like, it's like, so funny that. The the big top um, actors um, 
who are the monsters all played the monster in one film or another. Yeah. You know, and I think if Lugosi had played Frankenstein, he would just have been pushed more to just being a, a monster. And I don't think, I don't, I think it would all blended together. You so would you have think had he would have been more typecast if he would have took that role? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think he would have pot, he would have been, he would have kept getting pushed to, to the back and not brought to the front like he does in other films later. Um, but, you know, you think about it, he does an iconic Dracula. Karloff did an iconic Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Um, but if it's the same person, I think you kind of lose some of the iconography of either. Because I think it diminishes Dracula and it diminishes Frankenstein. Mm. Yeah, I see that's see that's that's the thing that and we, we talk about this all the time. You know, our two key words that we always talk about, because you're you know, you're my pal, is canon and continuity. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have when you have Redfield played by Dwight Fry in Amazing. one movie, or mostly in Frankenstein, when you have you know Dwight Fry playing Fritz, the hunchback. And then the very next movie, he's playing an assistant character, and it's supposed to be a continuation. And then he's playing Carl. Like it drives me nuts. So if you if you do that character, you got to do it the whole way. The best like, the, the or, best thing with Dwight Fry is he's a very good actor. Yeah. That is the same with Edward Van Sloan. If you look at it, Sloan man, yeah, you know because he plays Van Helsing, and then he turns around and plays uh. The Waterman? other doctor. Yeah. 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 Um, but I feel like he finds a way to play him a little bit different. But um, Fry disappears more. His prim proper Renfield. And then his. <sighs> like, you know, Fritz. There's enough there that they disappear into the roles. Sloan starts to get along towards the line a little bit. Um, but Fry. What if Fry would have played Dracula? Mm. It could have worked. Like, I'm I'm honestly thinking why he didn't play Dracula when they switched to David Carradine. Because yes. thinking about or, even John, 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 John yeah, 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 David, sorry, Jesus, bad. kill Bill. Um, <laughs> but thinking about, you know, even Fry with that slick back hair as Renfield, like he had those expressive eyes. I felt, I feel, I feel that boat scene, which we'll talk about in a second, like him, him in that boat was more scary than a lot of things <laughs> in Universal Monsters. Um, but okay. I want to ask you this too. What is so Bela Lugosi's 49 when he plays Dracula in this film? Is it too old to be Dracula? No, I don't. I, I think it depends on your director's vision, first of all, because if we go to the book, Dracula starts out old. Yes. And then, as we've seen in several versions, he starts out old and then gets younger. So I think it depends on what you're trying to convey with your Dracula. Um, you know, um, 
with with being i think as an actor sometimes being at that middle age part can be good in the sense that with some makeup and things can make you look younger and with some makeup and things can make you look older without it feeling too forced you know um but i really think it's what the what the director wants i i don't think a 20 some year old dracula really works he needs to have a little bit of a, a too, regal too young a, a, a otherworldly matureness about him like you know 30s i think dracula 40s, should be 35 to 45 i think that's a good that buffer that because that's kind of when you're like you're a man you know <laughs> what's uh, that like <laughs> I, i'm still waiting um but yeah, I mean, cause you don't want him to feel like a child. You no. want him to feel like he's experienced things, even though he's older than what he seems. But you, you want there to feel like there's some weight to him. My man, for real. So Dracula began shooting on September 29th, 1930 at Universal on a three, uh, $355,050 budget. Which in today's money is doing the my money guy <laughs> uh, doing some conversions. They did thirty. It took thirty six days to film, and the budget was something. Uh, while he's doing that math, and after recalled about filming, I can still see Lugosi parading up and down the stage, posing in front of a full length mirror, throwing his cape over his shoulder, and shouting, "I am Dracula." If I, was, ra- if I he, round up, yeah, it's it's six million three hundred nine thousand. I like those small budgets. I mean, that's still like that's it. Just it's that's still like even today. Like if you were to shoot a movie for six mil, I mean, though it's reported that the first Insidious film was shot for a million. My man Juan, and my man. You know, I bet all those actors got great back end deals to get that kind of caliber of talent for that money. But, anyways, <laughs> nope. but yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, so uh, they said that Bela Lugosi was mysterious. He never said anything to other members of the cast except "Good morning" when he arrived and "Good night" when he left. He was polite, but he was always distant. Uh, he was struck people as a narcissist. And eccentric performer. Hmm. Uh, Edward Van Sloan has said that he never thought that Bella Lugosi was acting. He always thought that Bella Lugosi was Dracula. Ooh, that's uh, scary as heck, but pretty awesome. Same time. So if, if you didn't know, Sloan played Van Helsing opposite of Bell Lugosi in the play on in the stage play. So they did this role together over a thousand times. I, I feel like there is a really, you look back and if you just, even if you just watch the monster films, yeah, there's an evolution to camera work. I don't want to get too far ahead, but it, in the mummy, you start to see a little bit more movement of the camera. This Dracula and even Frankenstein are very much shot tripod almost in the sense you're filming a scene like a play i mean you gotta think the early films were just kind of like filming a play as they figured out uh filmmaking so it makes a lot of sense to move your actors who are doing this play 
to film because they already know the material and the characters. Really what you're just doing is creating a little bit more elaborate sets and then experimenting with where the camera goes. I think that's the way to go. I mean, these people know their roles, especially at this time, like, you know, so it's just like, um, when they do some Broadway musicals and they'll move them and they're going to film a film version. And every now and then they'll get maybe one or two people from the Broadway show that bleed into the film version. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, just get the Broadway people. Like, like it's easier than trying to have like, Jania loves Les Mis. Yeah. Great musical. Okay. Good film. But Russell Crowe should not have been in that movie singing okay russell crowe should have been in the version they did that was based on more on the book not singing okay he doesn't even have a french accent in it okay all i'm saying is you should just got the guy from the broadway production and i think that i think russell crowe could have nailed it if he would just have one day more <laughs> i don't think he'd that one day i mean more just have another day just another destiny man <laughs> one more day <laughs> So the movie premiered in New York City on your birthday. I know. Nineteen thirty one though. February twelfth, nineteen thirty one, New York City. Valentine's Day, nineteen thirty one in the rest of the United States. See, I knew that. I knew that. But I did not realize that they had that the early premiere was on the twelfth. And I was like, Do what? Yes. As, as a early gift to you. So uh the movie was completed for a total cost of $341,191, which was under the original estimate of $355,050 in that time money. So $6 million. Uh, the movie would kick off Universal Monsters completely and change the game for horror films forever, much like Frankenstein did to horror novels. So let's get let's get to the meat of this, Tyler. The meat, the meat and potatoes of this. So the movie starts off with Renfield Mm -hmm. going to meet Dracula. Do you like it to be Renfield or Harker? I, okay. I've gone back. Let's go to that scene. So we got the movie playing in the background here. Let's go. Let's go to that scene a little bit. Uh, Rewind a little bit here. So. I under okay. This scene right here, we got the guy with the mustache, which I feel this opening scene is the best in Dracula Dead and Loving It. (laughs) 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 You must not go there. I think okay. The first thing you have to step back and I and I look at it as a screenwriter. Yeah, adapting something. So so Tyler has a master's in screenwriting, a master's in filmmaking and directing, and a master in disaster. (laughs) I I look at it. From the sense of, I have this massive book that I have to put on stage. Yeah, and I've also I've also directed theater, um, community theater. Um, so I look what at what haven't you done? I have not. There's more I should do. Perfect specimen. <laughs> but I look at I mean, it. I just take a dump every morning. That's like the big highlight. I, of my... I wake up. I put on my pants, both legs at a time. Just like but when you do it, you make gold gold movies. But I, I look at it like, okay, what, wow, what can I do to condense my story, to condense what I have to do, and yeah, the the Renfield change with Harker makes complete sense because when you're looking at this film, 
You know, people will compare this to the novel, which I think is unfair because it's adapted from the stage play. Yes. It's a, it's a filmed, basically it's a filmed version of the stage play. Now that is one thing we will put right now. Which is why you're in this podcast right now. Because you know about stage plays. About a universal (laughs) Dracula. Yes. And that's the the importance and change with Renfield and Harker. That makes it a universal Dracula over Dracula, Dracula. Thank Um, you, my man. Thank you. I will also, I also want to give a shout out to my beautiful, amazing wife and companion. um, Because she's a big Dracula fan. Like that is her number one monster. Where is she? She's in the kitchen. Jania, would you create a comment on a, a great question that Brian has for a Dracula fan that we'd like your opinion on? Whereas you, my friend, Brian, your favorite monster is Frankenstein. Mine is Frankenstein. And you have your reasons. And my second favorite is the Wolfman. My favorite is the Wolfman. For my reasons. Okay. But your favorite is Dracula. My favorite is Dracula, yeah. Brian's got a great question. Now women will listen to the podcast. How about that? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see what's up. Oh, that hurt me. No, it's me. It's a reflection of me, sir. What do we, what's the question? What we got? What the heck was the question? I'm just so excited to have a woman in the room. <laughs> he said, what do I prefer in the story yeah. to Jonathan Harker or how they adapted it here with Renfield being the one that goes? Yes. Should it be Jonathan or Renfield? Gosh, it's so hard because honestly, um, it depends on the kind of story that you want to tell. Like, do you want it to be something that is a little bit more uh, layered? But I mean, honestly, if we're going to go back to the classic Dracula, because uh, that's what we're referencing here, I'm guessing. Yes. You know? Universal's Dracula. Universal's Dracula. I feel like uh, the Renfield uh, perspective really works. Um and I feel like, honestly, when you add Jonathan Harker to it, it may become more convoluted, more, um, like, muddy, I guess. And I feel like that's great in the books, but for a movie adaptation where you're trying to really get your um, audience's attention and get to know such a, an amazing character like this, like, yeah, this works, and it works well. Um I feel like part of the reason why Jonathan Harker would even want to be present or we would want him present is because of Mina, you know? Um, but if we don't have Mina, why do we have Jonathan? That's kind of how I feel. So junior pastor, ladies and gentlemen, for real. <laughs> no, I think, you know, also with what she was saying, um, I mean, I, I think um, with the Renfield thing, with the Renfield, you get a great scene in this one so, a little bit, but also in uh, just the idea of like the the seduction, where where Renfield is basically tur- you know he gets his great turn to the dark side type moment. You know Harker doesn't turn and become Dracula's familiar. No, you know, but having the Renfield familiar basically turned here at the castle and then being this agent servant as he crosses on the boat, I think actually improves and helps the story. So, okay. So in the book, in the book, Jonathan is built right from the start as a man of logic. You know, he's a, he's a young lawyer. He's about to get married, but he's a man of logic. Is Renfield a man of logic or is Renfield more a man of greed? I, I've always seen and feel like Renfield's more of a man of greed because a man of logic 
Yeah. Want to listen to the warnings? <laughs> I, yes, because in here, you because know, he, John was getting scared, like when. But when Renfield, he asked him, Renfield, did you follow my instructions specifically? Yes. No one knows I'm here. I, I burnt the documents. Yeah, that sounds like somebody who's like willing to do some shady stuff to get um, money. Now, I don't. I hate always saying like my pitch, but. You and I have talked for years about what we would do for Dracula. Yeah. And I had the epiphany when we were talking. It's your pitch. Was having both of the characters as frenemies, frenemy rivals, where they both end up, they're battling for this account. They're battling for this, you know, Renfield wants the money for him. Jonathan wants this big money to marry Mina. They both go to the castle. Renfield kind of betrays Jonathan, sides with the devil, while Jonathan gets left behind with to deal with the brides kind of thing. I think that's your cheat workaround to have both this storyline and be faithful to the book. Yeah. Yeah. So all the villagers speaking in Hungarian, they warn Renfield of, well, what is the word? Well, Pargus, Pargus night or something like that, or St. George's day, St. George's day, easier to say is the night when all evil like comes alive, like almost like Halloween, but they call it St. George's day. So Dracula wants him to meet him at that time as midnight. So at the Bargo pass, the Bargo pass is a place in Romania where in the Carpathian mountains where Dracula's reign begins, if you will. It's and, just good. I mean, you'd have to be an ignorant English white man to just be like, I'm going to wish Ray was here. He'd be like, of course the white, the white boy's like, yeah, sure. I'll meet you at midnight. I'll meet you at midnight to this guy. I've never met in this country. I've never been in with all these warning signs and people telling me I shouldn't go. Yeah. I don't believe in monsters. I don't have a sense of fear, dread or imagination. <laughs> Trey would be like, now if Riffin was a black man, like it just, he was a black man in the, uh, oh, yeah, universal in the, in the NBC one. Yeah. But wasn't that produced? Hey, wasn't that uh, produced by Universal Television? So would he be considered a Universal Dracula? He would. He would. He would. I haven't finished that show. I haven't either. I have the Blu-ray is in my PlayStation right now. Janine and I, I take it back to the library, but I think I have it digital ripped, and I think it's on the NBC app too. But we won't go down that rabbit hole for that show. No, no, no. No, 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 Um, But the actor that played Renfield in that was a black man. He was a great black man. I can never remember his name, but he was also He's also in Sweet Tooth. But he yes, but yeah, he but he's so also good. but he's also uh Mr. Abasanya in yes, Ted Lasso. Yes, yes. Janine and I both liked him from uh Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Ooh. He played the prince's uh main a servant, assistant, number one, you know. Uh Vizier? Whatever. Yeah. So anyway, Renfield. Renfield, greedy piece of junk. Okay. The first the first live action scene of Dracula is coming out of this coffin in this crypt. Is it perfect? Is it not enough? Is it too much? Is it even scary, dude? I've always felt there's a creepiness. It is. And I think part of it leans to the sound, but the absence of sound. And also, I was hoping you would say that. And also I know you as a, as a, uh, hearing impaired deaf man have problems. What? Exactly. 
um, having you know your your deafness affects a lot of times when we talk about score and music. Um, yeah, I can't. Unfortunately, can't talk score with you because <laughs> I'm so focused on like the visual. The yeah. absence of a score in this film that is later added, um, I think, makes it creepy. Now, I can't help but mention, and I don't know if you want to talk about this now or later. Depends what you want to mention. The Spanish Dracula. I was barely going to touch it because I I try to watch it, but he just smiles too much, and it's kind of like creepy looking. Um. I mention it because I did watch it, and for 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 your listeners who don't know, the Spanish Dracula. Think of it like this: they would film this from six a.m. to six p.m. Yep. Spanish Dracula, six p.m. to six a.m. Yes. So same script, same sets. There's even shots in the Spanish version that are the same insert shots, mm-hmm. and I swear to you. There are shots in the Spanish version of Lugosi, like wide shots, that they didn't put in this film. Yeah, that's correct. You're absolutely right. Um, it's actually longer. Yes. A lot in a lot of ways, I was doing research. It wasn't filmed by a Spanish director. It was filmed by a English speaking director. I can't remember his name right now. Um, and I kind of wish he had directed this one. Mm. Because I think he had a different eye for things that really worked. And I bring it up because of your question. There is a shot in there that actually shows Dracula rising from the coffin. Yeah, kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of like in uh, Dracula Den Loving It. So, your question about the shot of him in the coffin, I think, is great. But I really would like the eeriness, maybe like a secondary shot later in the film. No way, he rises like from like standing up. But it's still it's a weird shot. It's still very menacing, creepy. But this, I the, think it's weird as heck. I don't think hand, it works. Lugosi's hands. You're tired of your opinion. <laughs> um, are classic. Even um, just the way he would move his fingers. Um, yeah. There's an eeriness to it. So that hand slipping out of the coffin is creepy. Gina, you're back. I'm back. Yeah. Had to take care of the dog. Sorry. <laughs> so female perspective. Yeah. The first live action. I just like saying live action because it makes me sound like smart or whatever. So the first in film scene of Dracula right here is Dracula scary enough. Is it mild? Is it kind of not good enough? Like, is this when when you see this opening scene? Does this strike fear in the hearts of men and women and non-binary? <laughs> if by being non-binary, that means you are binary or not, isn't that creating a binary system? I don't know, but I respect. This that. is not where we're <laughs> at. This is not the, gravely amusing. Is not the podcast for that. I just thought that was an amusing uh, play on terms, but. Oh, you were something. Um, so here's what I'm gonna say. For the time, absolutely. And the re- <laughs> I have my reasoning, okay? I, I gotta explain it if that's okay with you guys. I might die up here in a minute. But um No, I'm gonna hear it. for our current This is your favorite time, guy. Yeah, it is. For my uh our current time, we are so numb 
we're so, you know, just, I don't know, we're just so used to violence and horror and things like that. Like barely anything scares us anymore unless it hits a little bit too close to home, you know, like that's really where we feel the most fear is when it feels like it's real or it could happen to us. But, um, so in general, I don't really think Dracula is scary to people very much anymore, just in general. Um, so when, looking back at when this, I talked, yeah. when I talked to Trey and Trey's 24, Trey's like, I don't know anything of this movie. I don't really know much of anything about Dracula. Yeah. And like when I was like the Bella Lugosi Dracula, he's like, who the heck's that? You know, that's wild. So, and that kind of, that kind of hurts. Because one, it makes me feel old, and two, and two, you're missing out on some real cinema gold. But here's you know? here's. But, but yeah, go ahead. I, I wanted to back up my point because I have to tell a quick story, if it's okay. Yeah. Um, my uncle, my uncle Laris, sat down and talked to my son one time about the movie Godzilla, and um, my uncle Laris, which is, one? Original. What, the, the, the original, original. The, original. the yes the gotcha. freaking original godzilla okay he saw godzilla in the theaters oh, with, his, with his father and is like a core memory of his from when he was young oh. and um he said that if you can think about the uh the style that was of godzilla and how like nowadays we just kind of like laugh at it he said people were terrified People thought that he was coming out of the screen. People thought that they that he was going to attack them in their freaking cars. Like they were waiting for somebody to pop up out of the screen and actually get them. And he said he will never forget it because to us today, that's nothing. But yeah. to people back then, that was like, that was real life, like happening. Man. Yeah. I, so I, to have that feeling. Perspective is everything, right? I look at it like, horror i think there's a window for like horror to get you okay because you listen to podcasts of people review horror movies now they will reference oh that's like this or that's like that and it wasn't scary because you've become you know the tropes of the film you've become numb to certain things like Janine was saying there might be something that hits you or maybe you get that creepy feeling or a suspense like i love suspense i think more than anything else but i think there's that window of things that really scare you and stay with you because but then you grow up with it and you grow out of it and then you aren't as affected by it but i also like to go back and think about how new film was and technology period at this time this was scary man so seeing a coffin that the only time you ever see is when someone's dead that insert shot same thing and then seeing people rising out of it um, is haunting because you had never seen anything like this. You know, the stage wasn't used. People didn't get to the stage and see the plays as much as movies are mass audience. So you're seeing something for the first time that you're not used to seeing when you walk out your front door. Now we watch movies on our everything. I can watch a movie on my watch. You're watching movies on your watch? Could you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're probably good. This, that's how Christopher Nolan wanted it. <laughs> um, but I feel like I feel like here more than anything, 
is the suspense. It's the suspense of what it's like building the fear. Does that make sense? That's what makes it scary. You don't know what's going to happen. There's no tropes yet. No, we have, this sets the tone for everything. You don't know nothing of this dude. You just know he raised out of a coffin out of nowhere. And I feel like here's another thing. Janine and I were talking about this the other day because I was doing homework for you for upcoming episode. Okay. What a sweet guy. That their starts here, your character's scary. But yep. you can only hold that fear and scariness for so long till they become comical or you align yourself with the horror icon. We've talked about this before and we'll talk about it later, but there's that moment in Halloween four. Yeah, it's four. Where all of a sudden you're now on Michael's side. You you switch because you split. You hate you, the characters suck. You know what I'm saying? So Dracula, I think the problem with Dracula, like you asked me this is, is it was horror, it was iconic, then it got to be a joke, parody, and it's yet to ring back in completely that um the fear that the character I think the closest it's come to being scary again was the BBC Dracula. The Klaus Bange, as is Bange, however you pronounce it, Danish people. I think that's when it was scary again. I'll be honest with you. Like, I made Jania watch the second episode on the Demeter again with me because she hadn't seen it. And the first episode we watched back in 2020, that was generally scary. It made the character creepy again. Man, Claude, Claude knocked it out of the park, man, in my opinion. So I think it takes time. And we're talking, well, you, you know, what makes the universal Dracula? Yes. I think Universal's lost their own Dracula. Thank you. Thank you. That's definitely something I wanted to get into. So, okay. So Renfield goes up to this castle. Dracula is the coachman, just like he is in the book. And Renfield's looking around. This is dusty, cobwebby, all that stuff. And we see Dracula come out of nowhere almost. Doesn't even make a sound. And Renfield turns around, startled like crazy. And there's good old Dracula with this candle and just says, I am Dracula. Even even the name Dracula. And like doesn't have the fear that it once had, the creepiness. It's now almost comical. Yes. But when Bram found that name. And in Wallachian language, it means devil. Hmm. Oh, it's a great That's why name. he chose it. He was going to call him Count Wampire or Count Wampire or whatever. But his friend's like, you need to find this book on Wallachian history. Just, just look through it, man. And, well, it's in the previous episode of the podcast. Just <laughs> yeah. But, hmm. but, uh, and so in, and also in Bram Stoker's notes, there's nothing about Vlad. Uh, everybody thinks that Dracula is Vlad. There's nothing about it in there. That's something that came later, which I'll retcon. One of our favorite words, retcon, brother. But th- so Universal's Dracula is not Vlad. We need to make that clear. That is a very good distinction. That's very interesting. Very like that Vlad thing didn't really come up until Coppola. That's when it really came about. And I will say this. I think in one breath, Coppola is a great thing to happen to Dracula. 
also a works thing. That's a future episode. Future episode. So Renfield was so relieved to finally see Dracula. He thought he was in the wrong. He thought he was in the wrong place. And Dracula. One thing I can say about Universal Dracula is is he's always he's a man of few words, and everything he says always has purpose. Yes, like I'm Dracula, so you know you're in the right place. I bid you welcome. I'm trying to ease your fears. Well, I can't really play the song very well. Yeah, I know yeah. for legal rights, but. Yeah. But then, but then, like, he's able to turn on a dime. He's able to just, just be like, "Hey, I'm comforting and everything." And then he says something really weird and creepy, like, "Children of the Nights, what music they make." That's a great filmmaking trick, right there. If you think about it, you have him walk Dracula all the way up to the spider webs. You cut as he goes towards the step. You yes. cut to Renfield's face of a shock. And then cut back and Dracula's on the other side. And then we have Renfield have to cut through it with his cane. Like, I love so, this. I think you're going to say what I was, what I was Probably thinking. Probably not. You go ahead. You go ahead. No, I, you might be wanting to say what I think, what I'm thinking. Go ahead. No, I was, I was actually going to talk about the character of Dracula. Like I, I feel like there is an air of, um, What's the word I want to use here? Like a pompous air to him where he wants you to like ask yourself if this is something. that. You yes. Thank you for saying exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Thank you. I, I looked at you and you looked at me and I looked at you and you looked at me and I, I knew we were having a psychological dance because yeah. because he stands at the top of the stairs and he watches what he's going to do. Yes. Because he wants to know if he. Like, like he wants to see how he's going to take that because he walked through that spider web. Renfield knows that he walked through that spider web, but he's second guessing it. And Dracula is just like, Haha, I'm messing with him. I want to see what he's going to do. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. Exactly. Is he still going to follow me or is he going to run the opposite direction? Like, is he afraid of the power that I have? He it's should all be. a test. <laughs> it's all a test to Dracula. It's all a game. But I, it's more of a game than yeah. it is a text because he likes the control. He likes the power. That's the point. He, it's like, it's an egotistical power play almost like in that moment where he's just like, yeah, look at me now. What do you think? Yeah. So in, in my notes of the book of characteristics of Dracula, which I feel like they gave Bella these is so Dracula says to Jonathan, I want you to stay with me for a month. Because I want to learn your customs. I want to learn about London. And the whole purpose of that conversation and Jonathan staying with him, of course, we don't fully know it yet, but, you know, I want to suck your blood, you know, and I want to you know, get youthful. But he also, Dracula must be in control of every situation. He can, he, he is so prideful, so narcissistic. He can never look like a fool. Right. Like the whole purpose of learning from Jonathan is that he can go to London and he just is a part of the crowd. Yep. He cannot stand out in any way. His dot he speaks well. Gr he speaks great English, but but his accent at that time, until he drinks more of Jonathan's blood, is he. It's very Hungarian still, and he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He doesn't want 
anybody to, to like question where he's from. And he doesn't want to stand out because he must have control of the situation at all times. Absolutely. Like that's, that's who he is. And, um, so Renfield here is just kind of like hanging out. Like at this time, Renfield doesn't question lack of servants at all. Whereas in the book, Jonathan's like, where is everybody? Jonathan, very different thinker than Renf Renfield's all about the money, buddy. That's what we've kind of deduced, Jenny, is you have to have Renfield as a very money-hungry, greedy person. Also, can I just point out that very much this movie is a book from the 1800s, but it's actually being made as if it's modern time. If you look at like Renfield's outfit, it's very of the time that this movie's made, like 1930s. Yeah. Can I make a quick note? Quick, here? Because we watched, so Tyler and I watched a little bit, or I, I should say he watched the Spanish version of this, and yeah. I sat and I watched like a couple minutes of it. And I just, there is something about the lack of sound, the lack of footsteps, the lack of the door hearing the door opening and stuff like that. There's an ominous feeling that this film in particular and Bela Lugosi's performance and all of it together just kind of gives, you know, um, that I feel like other interpretations of this film lack. I, I think it all it goes was what she just said. This is early talkies. So you haven't this developed first movies with sound. You haven't really developed fully. You haven't developed sound design and things like that. So if you can't capture it right then, you're not getting it. And that adds to an eeriness for us now that maybe wasn't present then. But to us now, it really it, it, it hits differently. I'll say that. It still hits as an eeriness now. Now, um, Jania, yeah. this is a question Brian asked me a little earlier. Do you think Dwight Fry could have played a good Dracula? Remind me who Dwight Fry is, guys. Renfield. Um, okay, so here's the thing I love about these two actors right here is their freaking eyes. Their eyes play like they are. It is the reason why they are good at their characters and they act through their eyes. Um, so in that Capacity, absolutely. But then who the hell would you have for Renfield? Because he is amazing. That's the other side of the question. <laughs> he is yeah. amazing in that role. And I don't think anybody would have played it like him. And he's part of what makes this film yeah. you know, as impactful as it is. So as much as I would be like, yeah, he could probably really do a good job with that. Would I want it any other way? Probably not. No, I don't think anybody else could have go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Judea watched this scene of the Spanish version with me. Oh, did. Yeah. And the Demeter part. Um, the Demeter part was cool. Yeah. Because I had extra scenes. Um, but she watched the Renfield stuff and said, this, this, the other actor was playing it differently, but not wrong. No. Like both versions and interpretations work. Now, one thing I will say about the Spanish version with the seduction scene, we'll say, we'll call it with Renfield, is Dracula opens and has like bountifuls of food. And Renfield's hungry and he's eating. And like Dracula's watching him. 
and he's not eating. And it's with a knife as he's cutting, I think, chicken is when he cuts his finger and starts to bleed compared to the paper cut we get here. And I thought that was just a little bit more effective having this knife cut his hand. It's a so much larger cut. Okay, so that is that's not that's not in the stage play, and that's not in the book. So they stole that from Nosferatu. Uh-huh. Interesting. So in Nosferatu, he gets a paper cut. And Max Schreck, arguably one of the best interpretations of a vampire in movies, period. Um, which I think I think, you know, Claus's interpretation of Max and in yeah. the remake, you know, of course. Um, but you know, he just he just lunges at him, he's you know. He's so crazy about that drop of blood. I mean, the blood is the life. Yeah, that is to him. So them putting it in here, which I'll uh, I'll fast forward a little bit. I look at Aaron it. Much really busted up. Yeah, someone he stepped on it. Yeah, what a what a, what a jerk of a Yeah, that was, that was about a, what a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. He stepped on what a jerk. Right there, what he's telling him: Did you do everything as I told you to? Yeah. Tomorrow evening. I skipped the, did I miss the paper cut? No. It should no. be coming. And he starts to walk away, I believe, and that happens. Yeah. Again. Look at that face. Uh, Bela yeah. is Oh well, yeah, he went he went for him. Yeah, the paper cut, and then he saw the cross. But his yeah. he goes, the eyes, even that far off shot, the eyes looking back. Right there. Some shadows. Um what I told Brian, I was, I was like, sometimes when I look at this from a filmmaking point of view, I look at it almost as if you're filming a stage play because this is adapted from a stage play, but it's also very minimal techniques as far as camera work and everything. It's very much on a tripod shooting a lot of flatter styled angles. Um, it is a very well-directed stage play if you look at it like that though oh yeah because it's there are there are some distinct differences that you have to have between a stage play and a film like in, in the way that you act and the way that the set is even set up like things have to be different so i i just love the two of them but you were saying about they're sorry no it's fraught to you is it was a silent film too and think of something that's almost like you're playing charades. I can't tell you what I want, but I have to act bigger to really get the point okay. across one, with okay. my behavior. So something else, something else that something something that else that makes Nosferatu terrifying is not well. I mean, you know, silent, of course, is is when when Jonathan is opening his door at night. Dracula doesn't leave the door locked. Or, you know, Count Orlock doesn't leave it locked. And he opens that door, and in the shadows is Orlock staring at him, like from a distance. And all you can see is the eyes and the outline, just looking at him, and like the claws and the hands. Okay, so moving on here, because we've got to move it along. Yeah, um, move it along, bro. Move it along. Um, should, is, should Dracula have brides? Are they children to him? Which is a question that Tyler's asked before in conversation. Are the brides children or are they really brides and wives? I, I, 
I look at the because because so I'm sorry to interrupt you, even though I already asked that question. I just asked a question to you. I'm sorry. So in the in the book, Jonathan says that they seem younger than him. They seem submissive to him, and and one of them actually looked familiar to Jonathan, but he didn't know why. So, so and he said that they're like they treats them almost like children. But anyway, go ahead. I right there. One of them almost trips over as they're backing up. Um, I I don't think that they're brides in the sense of marriage. There's a term used to like they're his concubines. The brides just have a have they have a meaning. I don't even know what it was first coined, honestly. But I think they're in a sense agents of his um because if you think about it female vampires could lure men more easily than he himself um it's like you and you and i've always talked about how we hate the idea of dracula having children like he wants to have hate children it. so the idea of like turning someone or into trying, a child yeah, yeah, yeah having children trying to make kids hate it um, turning someone is the closest he gets to having children. Uh, in my yeah. mind, like, that's kind of his thing. But I think that the three brides, I, I find it always interesting of just companionship, uh, other vampires. So he's not always completely alone, but also you're talking about his control. It's control. He has a, a different length. Um, he needs to have control over somebody. And ultimately, you know, if it's a human, he's going to want to, you know, kill them. You know, so why not have, why not have companions that you can control? So one question I have about the Renfield situation is, so is it a hypnosis? Does he bite Renfield and take possession of them? Like, because Renfield has no taste for human blood. I mean, like, it's kind of like a progression. It starts with flies and it goes to spiders. Then he wants a cat. Like, it almost seems like more small life he gets, the bigger he'll get. So, like, you never see that scene of him taking over uh, and making him familiar. It's basically what we saw in the past scene where the bats fly and Renfield's looking at it. And then he just kind of and faints, you know, I, I look at it as like a hypnosis because we get shots and I'm going to pull if this is all right from Lugosi's Dracula when he did with Abba Costello. Yeah. We get the eyes and we get the sound effect of the hypnosis where he controls people. Um, so I look at it, we get, we get that shot of him in the eyes looking at Renfield. I look at Renfield's very weak minded. First of all, definitely. He is, he is focused on his money and Dracula has put him in this hypnosis and he needs the lives because he says lives is in the blood. Now I think in a way, maybe that's how Renfield keeps himself alive is through the insects. Um, it's, it's, it's a way I think also of showing the ugliness that he is becoming 
that he doesn't even eat civilized anymore. He is now kind of this creature in a sense of eating insects and small animals, but eating them and taking their life. Jew, thoughts? What, okay, so I sent you like a list of questions, and I forgot what my own questions were, Tyler. Um, is Your first question is Bella the definitive Dracula? Yes, go ahead. I'll let Janine answer first. Let's go around the table. Is he the definitive Dracula? What do you mean by that? Is he like, I don't know, is he the best Dracula? Is he the blueprint? Is he. He's, he's the, the foundation. He's, I, I think he's the foundation. I think he's the the idea. Because if you think about it, every single interpretation of Dracula that we have from this point on is an interpretation of him. Without a doubt. Um, Without there, a doubt. There is characteristics in every single Dracula adaptation from here on out that hold characteristics that we see here from from Bela Bella, whatever you want to say his name is. From the the way that he carries himself from the to the uh lighting on him to the way he speaks to just his mannerisms and just in general. Like every Dracula that's out there has something that comes from him. Is there any Dracula that doesn't? It takes nothing from him. I will say mainstream Dracula. Because there's, of course, there's... What do you mean by mainstream Dracula? Well, you have a lot of indie, low-budget crap Dracula movies. Just get on Tubi and search for Dracula. There's one with <laughs> the guy that played um, um, the son on Batman Returns to Christopher Walken, where he played Dracula. Really? In one. Chip, Chip, go. No, no, Dad, go. God, God, go. Save yourself. Dad, go. Dad, go. Uh, Even in the ones that I can think of that are not really like him, still carry an air of like suaveness to them or have something there that's like, oh, this is a hint of this. You know, like. I will say the last voyage of the Demeter. There you go. I didn't watch that one. I know so you didn't get to watch know. that yet. <laughs> um, not one thing. Not one damn <laughs> not thing. One damn thing. Um, but he his suaveness makes him a gentleman and make and everything. And it, there's an allure to him. He's a the reason mystery. why he gets like we get sexier Dracula down the line. <laughs> like he's he's. I he's say the, he he's the definitive. He's the blueprint. Yeah. He he is the icon. Like, let's yeah. just use that. He's the icon of Dracula. I am not a, I do not dislike, but I'm not a huge set on Christopher Lee right now. I think he's all right, but I don't, I don't hate it. I don't fall in love with it. So I'm going to have to let you borrow my Blu-rays because, because I know that we're not going to be able to get them all together just because of schedules and children and um, stuff. I, um, I watched, I watched two more of the Christopher okay. Lee movies. But um, I I really liked the BBC dude, and he pulls a lot from different errors and different portrayals of Dracula. But there's a core Lugosi there. That insert shot, that close up, is great. 
I wish they would have let the wide shot play longer. If you would have watched his head turn and his eyes oh, in the wide, much more menacing till when they got to that close up. But I mean, the end of that close up is menacing as crap. It makes you a little bit scared. I'm not even gonna lie. Like the way that they like zoom out on, or they not zoom out, but like they fade. Yeah. Um, your second question is, what makes a universal drink? I think we should save that today. That's probably the most important question. Maybe. What are his limits? Is okay, probably- so. What can't Bela Lugosi or the Universal Dracula do? What can he do? It doesn't seem like he can go over water. Like walk over water? Water, water. Because when he takes the ship. Yeah, but he has to be in the... Uh, in, in, in the car. Okay, so let's, let's start right in there. He has to have dirt from his homeland yes. to sleep in. Um, he... He's extremely quick-tempered. It's easy to piss him off. Yep. So he's an old man. Yes, it's easy to piss him off. Amen, man. Um, why am I drawing such a blank here? Yeah, he's he's very easily pissed off. It feels like he can see in the dark. Yes. From what from what we experience in the shots, it feels like uh, he changes into a wolf. But you don't see it, unfortunately. No, it's just an off-camera yeah, reference. Off-screen. He can change into a bat. Yeah, well, that we do know. Uh, the mist. I don't think he does the mist. Uh, I just think it's around him at times. Um, he doesn't seem to be needed to be invited in. No, but if you notice, she opens the window. When he was staring at her from outside. Right. Right. So the invitation is kind of there with the open window, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, maybe. It's maybe. like it's like body language. I maybe. mean, Dracula got invited in in Renfield with a welcome mat, so <laughs> those rules are a little loose. <laughs> um, but it it is where you draw the, a line. Um, the sunlight in this is definitely a limit. Sunlight, crucifix, crosses, the mirror doesn't like them. I'm always iffy on the crosses because is it is there a ratio of what the cross looks like? Because in some interpretations, anything if you make that cross with anything, he doesn't like it. And to me, that something like, has to be an actual cross. I wouldn't like it, it be the intention behind the cross. Listen, Richard Matheson, calm down. Okay, Sorry. we're talking about this because my thing is if you looked in that medical room, the way those uh standing things were they cross at the bottom because you just flip one of them upside down that's more of an x than it is a cross once again it's the intention isn't it listen richard matheson calm down we're talking about this okay not i am legend so that's kind of where i'm you know intrigued by i think it's more of the religious cross the sign of god but why does dracula hate god in the context of this, context of Universal Dracula, why does he hate God? Why does he hate the cross? Because he is the absence of. He's evil. He's supposed to be evil, the prince of darkness. What does this Dracula want? New territory. Like he wants to move out of Romania, his backwards world where they know about him, and to go to a new place where he's not known. <laughs> That he can experience. 
new life culture, women, new taste in blood. Junior, what's his, what, what makes he, what, what is his limitations? Is he sexy enough? Is he tempting enough? Is he, is this Dracula even supposed to be sexy? Is he, you know? Oh, he's supposed to be alluring for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause he's temptation. Like he's supposed to be a personification of temptation. It's what tempts you into like wanting to like, you know, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, you can feel the temptation from him. And sometimes, you know, sexiness isn't necessarily the way that a man looks or carries himself. Sometimes it's just his eyes. Sometimes it's the fact that he has power in the way that it's he swagger. Right. So the man carries himself in a way that it's like, yes, there's temptation there. Absolutely. Women are going to be tempted. <laughs> Probably some men are going to be tempted too. <laughs> I yes. Mean, no. Yeah. Real. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's there. You do have to look through oh, the so 1931 lens of what they were uh, what they were getting away with. I always thought Bela Lugosi was attractive. There, Here, there is because there's a there's a an, a mysteriousness to him, but there's also a presence that brings you 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 want to get to know him. You want to get to know him. There is an allure. The darkness is alluring. The darkness in general Martin, is alluring. Is the only person who doesn't know what movie they're actually in. <laughs> Good old Martin, man. Uh, your next question, right. Cry Guy, yes. is was this better than the book? I I think there's an argument for yes and no. I say yes in the sense there's a strong through narrative that I can follow. You know, you got to think film to book pacing is always different. This is an adaptation of a, of a stage play version that's already been altered from the book. Now, I think the book is super strong at the beginning. I think the, the, the Harker journal entries at the beginning of the book is the strongest part of the book. Couldn't agree more. I think that is creepy. It is eerie. The best part of that book is chapters like two to six. Yeah. Something like that. And I think after that, when we get to England, like I was saying earlier, where Dracula is not really the main character anymore or in the main story, it, it lags. And I think the film here finds a way to keep it going. So I'm going to answer yes and no. Because I think the book, you get more story. You got some great things in the book. That's such a title. Okay, let me throw another question here. Okay. Let me throw another question here. In the book, who's the protagonist? There isn't one. In the movie, who's the protagonist? I would almost say Renfield. You're following him through the entire story. Even though he kind of gets shifted, it is Renfield with Dracula. But I would say that you could frame this movie to be Renfield's story more because he's there for at the very opening frames and at the very end. For me, it's Renfield in the movie and the book in the book. I would, it switches. Yeah. And that's why I think that doing a version that a film that allows that passing of your torch to your protagonist and keeping Dracula on the back works. Um, but having Dracula as your protagonist, I think, does not work. 
But okay, so another thing about Universal Dracula, he is not in the background. Hold on, that's your that's your last question. We're gonna hold. Yeah, on. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, my apologies. No, I was like, I think that's a really good one. Your next question, Jenea, what do you think about the book versus film? You know, I'm not as familiar with the book itself. Like, I haven't read through the book. I've read sure. parts of the book. All you have to do is listen um, to my podcast. I'll get the whole thing for you. Well, thank you, thank you for free. See, this is a great Love creepy it. shot of him. Oh, I like that shot going down and the fade to black. You know, they were limited on what they could show. And I think her delivery right there the next day with like the eyes just kind of wide and dreary is creepy. Um, continue, my, my, my beautiful bride. Junior. Um, yeah, no, I just. I think this shot's ruined by Fred, by, uh, Parker's pants. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I love how every single time I start to talk, you like just talk right over me. Hey, Ju- <laughs> hey Junior. Well, hey, Junior. Welcome to the. Hey, Junior, welcome to the Gravely Music Podcast. <laughs> so nice to have you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I think that the uh, movie, honestly, to me, is stronger than the book at this point. Um, I Because I feel like we get other movies, and I'm not going to dive into them too much, that go more along the line with the book. And to me, they are too much. Too much for the screen, at least. Um, so the simplicity of this is effective. Tyler, my next question. Is he evil enough? Yes. So in the book, in the book, he's feeding babies to his brides. Right. And then when the mother's like, don't take my baby, don't take my baby. He sends wolves out of the mother's just eat her. Just get the heck out of my house. Like, I, like, and that's what I loved about the Netflix version is they brought the baby scene in there. Oh. I mean, it was perfect. You don't hear anything, Jonathan. There's no baby, Jonathan. There's no baby. He's just holding that baby, just ready to like, you know, it's his meal. <laughs> you know that that was evil. And in the Netflix one, we I'll eventually talk about the Netflix one in depth. But also in the Netflix one, I loved the scene. Where where Jonathan's at the roof of the castle, and he's laying there in the sunrise, and Dracula is just laying there in the shade, and just taunting him to have a whole conversation about it. That's freaking evil, man! Like, oh my gosh! But is Bella's Dracula evil enough? Like, is he is he enough of a threat that you're like? You know what? He really is the king of monsters at this time. He really is the the king of evil. Or is the Wolfman more a threat? Is Frankenstein's monster more a threat? The mummy, whatever. Is Dracula really the baddest of the bad in universal terms? I feel like that's a very heavy and hard question to answer, to be honest with you. That's why I asked him. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Musing is about the tough questions of horror. It is. I, it is a tough question, but I, I have to say, could he be more evil? Absolutely, he could. But once again, if we're going back to the freaking time that this is created, and everything that was surrounding it, that I can personally think of at this moment, I'm gonna say that yeah, he's freaking evil. He's freaking evil, 
And maybe it's not the outright, I'm killing a baby evil, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just my biased opinion. Though. <laughs> those pants are evil. Those uh, pants are evil. Yeah, those pants he's are quasi evil. I would the say diet coke of evil. With his, is he evil? Yes, because there's this eerie, there's this sense that he seems like a man. Okay, because the wolf man, not to die too much, Larry's not evil, but he turns into the monster. He's evil. Yes. The Frankenstein monster always has kind of an allure of evil as he is a child mindset breaking free, like a wild id of fear and just lashing out at the world. Right. But he's he's not inherently like evil within him. Right. Like he's not. But 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 I'll say what Dracula is, he is always the monster. Yes. We don't always see that he's the monster, but he is always the monster. And I think with the other monsters, too, that we're comparing him to is they don't always relish in the fact that they are the monster. He is like, yeah, I am the freaking monster. And that mindset. He loves what he is. Yes. That mindset makes him very evil. And very dangerous. And I think, like. Jania said, for the time that this was made, he was representing what he could. All right. So next question. Did Bella make the character better in the end or ruin it? I would say. So the the original, let's go to the original description of Dracula in the book. He's tall, thin, old man, long white mustache, all black. You know, Hungarian, you know, Romanian man, but there's no, he's very old. He also, as he feeds, he becomes younger in the book. Yes. And Universal Monsters, Dracula, he does not get younger as he feeds. He is just the way he looks. But Bela Lugosi was Hungarian, just like in the book. And every, every every Dracula after that, some, if there's a parody of it, they mock the, the Lugosi voice. Every other Dracula doesn't do it. They do whatever voice they got. You know, Chris Lee barely talks. Yeah. So did Lugosi's portrayal strengthen the character being something completely different? Or did it actually hurt in the long run because... And I say that in that once he did that and he did it the way he did in his own way, every other interpretation tends to try to be a copy of it, which he'll never surpass. Almost like, almost like people see Christopher Reeve. My man, I was about to say that. That's what's in my brother. Like, if we, if we brought it back around. That's why I'm your brother. I'm like, yeah. I would say this. I think the. The aging down in the book works for the pacing of the book and in film where you take the time to do that. This moves rather quickly. It's only like an hour in like seven minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, not this podcast. <laughs> no, not this podcast. We can talk for another four hours if we want to. Um, but we won't. But we won't. Um, <laughs> I think the the mustache description in the in the book, okay. But I think as a vampire with a mustache, that's stupid because that thing will be blood all over it. 
I don't like the mustache. I don't like the mustache either. No. Uh, no. There's only like one person who can pull a mustache. Okay. And that's my man, Mr. Ted Lasso. And he ain't Dracula. Okay. Um, all I'm saying. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck and uh, Alex Mother Flippin Trebek. Rest his soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, what's his face? Sam Elliott. Um, oh, Sam Elliott, yeah. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Martin <laughs> Lugosi played the character and became so iconic that he made the character something. And he held the fear. He held the imagery. Because much like I said, like watching House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, and seeing Carradine, he's a joke. Yep. Okay. Carradine sucks. He did. I haven't. Totally sucks. Watching Jr. Ugh. Ugh. If you if you have Dracula and Dracula does not have a presence or an air about him that is this strong, um, what do I want to say, like a commanding air, like you're not, no, just no. He put such a stamp on it that, like we were, like I said earlier, it's you could say it ruined the character now, in the sense because everyone's parried it, parried it, little. Carried it, it made fun of it, and has made it such a goof over time that it's maybe brought the character down. But he gave the character what it is. When you hear Dracula, you might think of, I mean, our kids, for example, love Hotel Transylvania. Love it. They watch it, Sailor watches it year round. So when she hears Dracula, that might be who she thinks of. But even that Dracula is a pull from Bella Lugosi. Sure the heck is. Okay. So other iconic or known versions of Dracula that people may know still pull from Lugosi. Yeah. I just say this. Christopher Reeve. As we've been watching Dwight Fry again, and you guys asked the question about whether or not he could be Dracula, I just have to say it. I don't think he's menacing enough. I think he's great, but I don't think he has the menacing air that uh, Bella has. Okay, fair enough. I say no because I don't feel he has the suaveness. I think he's the unsung hero of the Universal Monsters that doesn't get enough credit from his portrayal of this and of Fritz that set the stage for whatever Igor shows yep. up, which. <laughs> Absolutely. He's fantastic. He's 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 so good. Okay, what's the next question? The last question. Okay, stop the last question. Okay. Okay. Does Dracula need Van Helsing? No. No, he does it because you barely have Van Helsing in this. I'm sorry. You barely have Van Helsing in this storyline. And I know this might be an unpopular thing that I'm saying here, but Renfield and Bela basically hold this freaking thing, the two of them. And you could almost not have that character there and it still be effective. I'm just saying. Well, that's the last time we have Junior on the podcast. <laughs> no. I think- so you're telling me this whole movie could do away with Van Helsing? I mean, as difficult. Redfield's in a madhouse. Yeah, you can't do crap. I just, I'm just saying that the character is so minimal here. 
in other in other iterations, I would say that we need him for the storyline for sure. But in in this one in particular, no, nah. no, you don't necessarily need him here. Okay, okay. So if you take him out, who's the one that? Brings, I knew you were going to ask that. Who's the one that brings him to the senses and says this is the threat that's really going on? Well, I mean, you have uh, it's Jonathan here, right? Jonathan is on the sideline with Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Doctor okay. Seward's kind of just right, right, right. kind of there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I Jonathan being the person who you know is trying to. You know. Right here, this I point to this conversation right here, where Dracula's like, "You know what you know." I will be honest. Yeah, like he has, he knows, he knows who he is and what he is. You're too late, Van Helsing. My blood flows through her veins. Yeah, she's mine now, buddy. And he says to him, uh, "I think it's before this, though." He says. You know, you've only lived one life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like who are you? You've only have one life to live, and you're almost near the twilight, buddy. I think I, I just think, feel like Jonathan could be the person that's like, "You're screwing with my woman." Like, but in the text of Universal Monsters, Jonathan's not that dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's really come out. I love that. I like this scene too. When, oh, he, yeah. when he tries to hypnotize Van Helsing, he's too freaking mentally strong. And I think yes. that goes back to what I said earlier about Winfield being a weak mind. Yes. Van Helsing is a strong mind. The strongest. I think I think Van Helsing and Dracula exist in a relationship much like Batman and the Joker. Yes. Um You betcha. You betcha, sweet Bippy. But in the context there, of you can listen to this podcast now. I didn't say you bet your ass. I said you bet your sweet bippy. There you um, go, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's for your in-laws so they'll be like oh i can listen to this yeah. uh, um i i think that van helsing has a great character role i think the way that the book is done you need van helsing so much better in here i think in this you could almost take him out and just have another character be the one that like finds literature on a vampire or something. Going back to that idea of the stage play where we say you're only signing with her because she shows her your boobs. If I showed <laughs> if I showed you my boobs, you would side with me. Think back to what <laughs> we talked about. He's not fully siding with me though. If you listen to his words, he's saying, and you know, well, I, he's not gonna, he's not going to fully side with you while I'm in the room because he's so scared to lose me as a friend. He doesn't want to totally offend. Me. No, I'm just saying. Like, think of. We've already how many characters from the book have we cut out of this? We got rid so of many. all of Lucy's suitors. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We made one of the suitor her dad. Yeah, her, her Mina's dad. Her ward or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Okay. No Quincy. So, Quincy's such a big part of the book. So in the context of this film, Van Helsing himself, you could have made him a different character that was there more. Or, you know, I feel like could have made him Dr. Seward. You could have made him Dr. Seward. That's all I was saying is like in the context of the film, like he's not necessary. You could have. You, you, know? you win, Junior. His okay. part could have been regulated to a different character if we're looking at. Because they're, they're, because they're trying to combine all these characters and these storylines down. Yeah. 
uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't lose the Van Helsing character. I might axe the Seward character and just make Van Helsing the doctor. I think honestly, for the for the betterment of this film, he should have been in it more. So we should have had more is Van Helsing, like who who is this? Why does he know as much as he does? Like we don't have that background here. We, we should have dropped Dr. Seward. Yeah. It should have been Van Helsing as the doctor who ran the asylum, who had the occult knowledge and everything, and just combine those two to, together. Yeah. There's no garlic in this, too. Can we throw that out, too? So, your last question. I thought there was garlic in it. Like, Martin could have been cut from this movie. Um, your last question is, okay. what makes... Probably the most important question. What makes Universal Dracula? Now, it's funny, because... Jenny, you missed at the beginning that Universal Studios bought the rights, the sole rights to Dracula. So the only they could have the control of the stage play, the film, and everything. Everything. They could for this movie. This character. They own Dracula. Okay. At okay. this time. So who is it again? Sorry. Universal. Universal does. Okay, yes. So Carl Mill Jr. So this is, you know, Universal's Dracula is Bella Lugosi. Yes. His portrayal is Universal's Dracula. I don't even care if I watch a movie like House of Dracula, Carradine, John, Lon Chaney Jr. No, Lon Chaney Jr. is Count Alucard. Okay, not even putting them in the same sentence. Yes, Carradine, not Dracula. He was just pretending. Okay, just like Ian Glenn is Alfred and not Bruce Wayne. Carradine <laughs> is uh, just a dude trying to pretend that he's Dracula. Okay. They're Dracula. Just like Glenn Strange is not Frankenstein. <laughs> Bella Ghosty, not Frankenstein. It's Boris and Boris alone. I'll go Boris and Glenn. Glenn's my number two. Uh, Glenn, you know, Glenn. Glenn's okay. But not Cheney. Bella didn't do nothing. But not Bella or Cheney. Yeah. Um, it's sad because we say this because Universal with, with Lugosi carved their iconic Dracula. And I think a good conversation would be as you go through these monsters, has Universal let their own legacy down? Oh, that's a question for the last, the season finale of, okay. of this. Because after when you and I had our Wolfman conversation and things. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. Okay. Because I feel like you're that, definitely going to be on the Wolfman podcast. Dope. I would be heartbroken if not. I'll just probably have you maybe even lead that old thing. thing. Like this is starting. This is an hour and a half of Tyler talking. Now back to Brian <laughs> Peters. Um, because we talked about earlier that technically, you ready? I'm listening. Technically, um, the uni- Universal has also cultivated Nick Cage's Dracula. Yep. The Voyage of the Demeter is a Universal Dracula. Okay. Jonathan Rice Myers on the TV series is a Universal Dracula. Okay. Luke Evans. Luke Evans is a Universal Dracula. Van Helsing. And Van Helsing, the film, is a Universal Dracula. Okay. No, all those are are under this moniker of Universal Studios. Christopher Lee is not a Universal Dracula. Right. Christopher Lee exists outside of the... the Gary Oldman's not a Universal Dracula. That's interesting. So, with that knowledge, when you think of Universal Monsters and Dracula, it's Lugosi. And yet they haven't been able to carry that legacy that they cultivated themselves. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I feel like each and every single iteration that you just 
talked about, there is uh, it, it, there are those key factors that we've been discussing this entire time, like the suave energy, the um, oh, I just had the temptation of each one of them is there. Um, trying to think, what else? The uh, the quest for control. The quest for control is with all of them as well. I think I can see that. I, as much as I enjoy aspects of the film, I think Luke Evans is Dracula. They try to play him too much into the Vlad, and he's not evil. And I think Dracula needs to be evil. They tried to have their cake and eat it too by having another vampire person there, kind of thing, to be the evil. But I don't think it worked. Dracula has to be evil. Dracula cannot be a good guy. No. 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 I see your eyes rolling back thinking about it. They could be. No. No. I I think the only clause there for me would be is if he begins that way. If there's a part of him, the human part of him, that struggles with the evil. No. Universal Dracula is a bad mamma jamma. He's evil. But but what we see here, to be fair, is he's been Dracula for God only knows how long. Yes. He has no worth. Right. And then, but what we see with, with Dracula untold, it is an origin. And we're seeing a man be turned into a beast. And I feel like had we had another movie after that, which I know we don't, but it was it was like it was like the collapse of man into into beast and into evil, into darkness. So honestly, I feel like from an origin perspective, I could see that being Dracula's beginning, where it's like he starts off trying to be this good person as much as he can in his life. But then something tempts him, right? Because temptation is the key to all of this. So something tempts him into darkness. He falls into darkness, does, you know, battles with himself. But ultimately, the darkness takes over. I think the more the more you give, the, the more sympathy you give for the character, the more you lose it. Yeah. Dracula has a widow's peak. He dresses very nice, very gentleman-like. He is not in the background. Universal Dracula is not in the background. He is not a fan of menace like Christopher Lee's. Christopher Lee is totally in the background in just about... I've only seen the three of his movies, but he's in the background the whole time. He's a fan of menace. He is killing people from, from the sidelines. He is that red eyes just show up out of nowhere. Um... This Dracula is very much in the forefront. He's very much the devil that you know. Yeah. Let me let me throw out a question real quick here. Okay. Then we gotta wrap this mofo up. Does Dracula need an origin or should it always be mysterious? I think his motives need to be clear, but his origin always a mystery. It reminds me of, once again of the Joker. 
like the the thing that makes the joke. I was just going to bring up the joke. Yeah. Well, the thing that makes him the most terrifying is the fact that we don't know really who he is. That's what makes him interesting. Like you're interested to the point where you're tempted to figure out more about him. You want to follow more stories about him. At least that's me. He's my favorite Batman villain. So just it's one of those things that you're drawn in by that energy. And yeah, I mean, as much as I, there's a part of me that likes the Dracula untold story, you know, I have to separate it in my mind in a lot of ways because um, I need to enjoy it for what it is and then come over here and enjoy this for what it is and see that Dracula is better without the order. I, th- I think this can be related to three characters here. It can be related to, well, you know, Dracula can be related to Joker. The more you know about Joker's origins, the less cool he is. Like, the less the mystique is, you know, it, it ruins it. And also, I want to throw in Michael Myers. But Michael, like, if you know the, the origins, oh, you know, it goes to the motives or whatever. Dracula, you should know, like, his motives. You should know what kind of ways he's going through. And and Joker, his motives changing. And, you know, and anything he does makes him cool. Like, Michael Myers, I don't want to know why he's killing people. I don't want to know his moves. I don't want to know he's going for his sister. He's a man. With the, un- but, the unknown's terrifying. But I know I want to know, like, I don't know. There's it depends on the story you want to tell. But I think for Universal Monsters, Dracula, I think the less I know where he comes from, the scarier he is. And but I I do want to know what his plans are, like of what he's going for. Um, because then it, it makes like, then I can kind of see why he does certain things he does. Um, yeah. And then I kind of want to see his like strategy of certain things. I don't know. We, I think kind of like just, I'm going to shut up here in a second, but I think one of the big things, like from the beginning, you asked, like, if he is scary enough. Yeah. And I know I'm coming back around to that question, but it ties in here. As people, I think the biggest thing that we're ever afraid of in life is the unknown. Yes. So. And that's why we want origins for these characters, because we want to understand them. Right. We want to know when it takes away that. Yes. Less is more. Here's here's another. If we want to throw back to comic books, always want to throw it back to comic books. Doomsday. Doomsday was created as a killing machine that was terrifying, that made Superman scared that he was going to die. And then over time, every time they return to that character, it diminishes the character. People want more. Yeah doomsday but it diminishes the value of that initial they want to know where it came from and all this and it takes away from what it is so with dracula we've had movies give the character an origin or a story or trying to tie it into vlad and take that back to the origin i don't want to talk too much about the coppola movies i know you said you have another yeah, you, you'll get there. 
but you know, I have some real issues with that one. I know you do. We'll get there. <laughs> That's a main Brian's tagline. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, um, you know, but I think hinting at things, cause you know, you said he was a man that was corrupted. What if he was never a man? Yeah. I think hinting at things is more fun than giving him the definitive origin. So, but what he could be. Yeah. You know, like universal's Dracula has a, a certain, I like that. If you watch the BBC Dracula episode two, yeah. they pay tribute in his attire where he basically wears the Lugosi costume. And I think that that look, though it's been parodied, even in Monster Squad and everything, is the universal Dracula. Like, you need to have a look that that comes very close to that. Adam Driver for Dracula. Adam Driver for Dracula. It's the first thing that popped to my head. Good work. Well, everybody, that is universal Dracula. That's the scary side of it. The book and the movie, and the conversation with Tyler and his beautiful bride, Junia. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. I hope that you were horrified. I hope that you laughed. I hope that you were at least gravely amused.